Welcome to Kitchen Table Conversations, a series of short and shareable conversation starters for those of us who have or love and support people with a complicated and beautiful brain. Here's your host, Angela Geddes. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Kitchen Table Conversations. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm just so happy to be here and happy to say that we had a very successful uh, trip to Saskatoon last week where we were able to present and participate in Canada's um, National Research Network and FASD uh, annual conference and it was just so amazing there were over 600 participants so it was just so inspiring to hang out with like-minded individuals who are so incredibly creative and compassionate and passionate about um, building system capacity and to improve the outcomes for so many. So just wanted to sort of reiterate the fact that the my most recent learning has been around the dire situation for individuals and families and what they're faced with when it comes to um, exploring diagnostic clarity. So we now know that globally, fewer than 2% of people with FASD or who would qualify for FASD actually know it based on conservative prevalence rates. And we know it's conservative because there are still so many individuals who do not know about their prenatal history and whether or not prenatal alcohol was a part of it. There still is an incredible stigma attached to it. And sometimes you know, we as service providers simply don't ask the questions and individuals do appreciate the, the judgment that might come about and are a little bit um, sometimes resistant to be forthcoming around uh, prenatal exposures and that kind of thing. So there's still, you know, we still know that this is conservative estimates, but in Canada, we know that at least 4% of us have FASD. And in Canada, again, it's less than 2% who know it. But what is most fascinating is that in Ontario, given the population that we have, it's actually fewer than 1%. So 05 to 0.8% of Ontarians who would qualify for an FASD diagnosis actually know it. So on that note, I'm really, really excited about being able to present a poster session at the Ontario Children's or Children's Mental Health Ontario Conference 2023. So it's one of the largest conferences in North America for children's mental health. I'm honored to be a part of it. I'm thrilled to know that it's been sold out. I look forward to doing a full workshop there one day. But in the meantime, I'm just proud to be um, hanging out with so many you know, again, creative practitioners that want to present on things like a circle of compassion supporting students who've experienced trauma, lots of information and um, sessions focusing on education and attendance and supporting that process from graduate or from, you know, dire circumstances right through to graduation. So there's going to be some lived experience shared, some studies you know, discussing various surveys and most recent research around 
you know, a variety of different communities, parenting education and support and, and try to, uh, trying to understand ways that we can build capacity in those areas, areas as well. Breaking barriers, building bridges, supporting youth in an evolving world, recognizing that COVID um, and coming out of COVID, we're seeing the need for mental health services just kind of skyrocket. So, huge needs. But what I do find fascinating, and this certainly isn't a critique, but what I do find fascinating that even in our children's um, mental health um, conference, you know, the program itself, other than my poster session um, that specifically targets fetal alcohol spectrum disorder or the impact of prenatal exposures, um, I don't see anything here. So we do see some uh, a number of different conferences um, or workshops, pardon me, within this conference focusing on autism and individuals with special and complex needs. But uh, the term FASD is not used. So I'm, again, very excited to be here because my goal in this work around Um, puzzling presentations and as my book is called a complicated and beautiful brain my work is to help broaden the audience and to help recognize that FASD is within all of our circles and FASD with the right supports and information and um, you know interventions and screening and assessment skills on the part of the front line with improvements made in those areas, families will do better. And the cost savings could be astronomical because there are so many times where kids are disrupted from their homes because of intergenerational trauma compounded by intergenerational FASD. And we're not putting the supports in place in a comprehensive and complete way so that families can um, continue to support each other no matter what the constellation looks like um, in better ways. So, um, and, and again, the cost is astronomical. I think I might have mentioned during our last podcast that I'm seeing individuals who are costing the system um, over $60,000 per month to house them and to provide the, um, the necessary, you know, one-to-one or two-to-one supports that are needed with very, very complex needs that are compounded by, um, you know, disrupted placements and feeling like they don't belong anywhere and feeling like they've been rejected. So, so again, um, trauma-informed practice is vitally important and we also need to look at how often individuals with very complex um, mental health and learning profiles um, actually have had their development interrupted by developmental trauma uh, for a variety of different ways and and not the least of which can be um, prenatal alcohol exposure and prenatal polysubstance exposure. Those are those are really, really big deals. And again, most of us, when we think about FASD, we think that that's a that's a condition that's reserved for people who really struggle with mental health and addiction issues. And um, and again, I just want to help people to understand that that's not the case, you know, that, that people drink uh, alcohol in our culture for a variety of reasons, and none of which is to intentionally harm um, growing babies. 
But so many times pregnancies are interfered with prior to the pregnancy even being confirmed. So, you know, I've talked about the statistics many times. I won't reiterate that, um, but I do encourage you to check out my website for more information and reach out. Like, call me if you have any questions about any of these podcasts and, and to, you know, to dialogue with me around what topics would be helpful for you moving forward and how we can bring these conversations back to our communities or our workplaces or our families so that we can be compassionate but yet provide people with the important information that they know that they need to know in order to make informed decisions and so you know I mean again I see it within my own family as well where I'm not a social worker and that can be very tricky when you're trying to explain or provide statistics and many times you know I I will say many times because many times I have told people what I do for a living and tried to explain why I'm pretty passionate about it, throw out a few statistics, throw out a few characteristics. And I've had individuals say to me, you're describing my kid, you're describing my individual here that I know in my neighborhood, you're, you know, these things are coming home to people. Um, But Again, it's not my role to ask intrusive questions about prenatal alcohol exposures to, you know, to my family and friends. So I plant seeds and provide people with the opportunity to go and explore further with professionals so that I can stay, you know, in a safe, supportive distance away and recognizing my scope of practice and my role within this within this relationship. So all of those things are, you know... involve moral and ethical considerations and I'm happy to explore some of these things with you personally so check out my website hit the let's connect button if you'd like to uh, to chat with me further if you'd like to learn a little bit more about how we can continue to build um, awareness and to work together to both um, to, to decrease both the impact and the incidences of prenatal alcohol exposures and developmental trauma. So again, I'm thrilled to be participating directly in the Children's Mental Health Ontario Conference coming up in Toronto at um, on the 19th, 20th, and the 21st of November. And once again, you know, recognizing that um, FASD is not commonly understood to be a part of our children's mental health services, but with the prevalence rates being so high and the actual individuals who have a diagnosis being so incredibly low, pretty much non-existent, we do know that people with FASD are entering our children's mental health services, but unfortunately not being supported in a complete and um, comprehensive, inclusive way, because we're just not trained in being able to screen and identify what might be more than a parenting issue or trauma and attachment and children's mental health and, uh, and the other social determinants of health and certainly um, adverse childhood experiences, all of which contribute to overall health and well-being of all of us. But uh, that extra piece of, um, you know, interruption during development needs to be considered so that we can be most helpful. So once again, please bring this conversation back home to your kitchen tables with many thanks, Angela. Angela.